The book of Esther, chapter 6, and verse 12. And Mordecai came again to the king's gate. But Haman hasted to his house, mourning, having his head covered. Mordecai came again to the king's gate. I want to talk to you for a few minutes about returning to the gate. You may be seated. If I could take this message tonight and preach it into you, the incredible power that comes from the common avenues of life, that's what I desperately want to do tonight. Because I want you to understand that what the world needs is not done in conferences and camp meetings and big celebrations. But what the world needs is for somebody to understand that it's the everyday activity that happens in the gates that is what determines whether or not the kingdom flourishes or dies. One of the great dangers of the common life is that the devil would do much to get you to give up and give in to the tedium and boredom of daily life and make a decision that would have far-reaching and negative effects on your life. Let me tell you what's going to save your family. Let me tell you what's going to save this city. Let me tell you what's going to create apostolic revival and movement around the world. It's when we, the people of God, understand that what, where things really happen are in the gate. The everyday activity of the church. We pray every day. We read every day. We witness every day. Come on, somebody. We live faithful every day. Not just on Wednesday. Not just on Thursday. Not just on Sunday morning and Sunday night. But there's something inside of us that says, I'm a child of God every day of my life. I've discovered that we don't gain necessarily great things at conferences or camp meetings. And whatever we gain, I would venture to say, and I'm as guilty as anyone else, that the last conference that you attended, you might have thought there was great preaching. You might have thought there was great singing and ministry. But you can't remember one title of one sermon or one title of one song. I'm going somewhere. Just stay with me. There is an inherent but often untapped power that comes in the king's gate. It provides a foundation like none other for us. I want you to say this with me. Don't curse the common. You see, the devil would like for you to believe that what you do on a daily basis is not important, is insignificant. Come on, somebody. The devil would like for you to believe that it's not having an impact. But that's why the devil wants you to believe that. Because he knows if you're doing what you need to be doing on a daily basis in the gate, that hell can't stop it. Uh, 
Come on. Revival will not be thwarted. Miracle signs and wonders will not be hindered if we, the church, understand the power that's in the gate. It was a night that the king couldn't sleep. For whatever reason, insomnia had found its way into the royal palace and had disturbed the sleep of royalty. A number of things could have troubled his sleep. Maybe it was the cares of the kingdom or the ambition to take more land and captives or his troubled conscience. It could have been his own ridiculous moods. One historian accounts or confirms that when Ahasuerus returned from his Greek expedition that he had gotten so made with the river Hellespont for breaking the floating bridge of his boats that he ordered one of his servants to lash the river with 300 lashes. Sure, that was effective. Obviously, there was a lot going on in his poor, sleepless mind on that particular night. I'm certain that Ahasuerus had everything, had done everything he knew to try and get sleep on that night. He moved from a soft bed to a soft couch. He counted the lines on the drapes that hung from the ceiling to the floor. He counted the designs on the Persian rugs that were scattered about his room. He rearranged the pillows and swapped the feather to the cotton and back again. He tried to listen to the soft music of the Persians. He paced back and forth a bit. He read a bit. He probably snacked a bit. He probably tried every trick in the book. Nothing seemed to work to get the king to sleep. Because we have the ability to read the Bible, we know that a far greater plan was at work keeping this king from his sleep. I'm so glad to know that the king is not sleeping tonight. Come on. I said God is working his plan in the lives of his people He never sleeps and he never slumbers. And right now something's going on in the kingdom and God is being stirred up to do something on the behalf of his people. Come on, I wish somebody would help me preach just a little bit right now. I'm telling you, the king is not sleeping. The king is well aware of what's going on in your life and mine and in his church tonight. plan is always much bigger than we are. You see, what Ahasuerus didn't count on was instead of the tales being tedious and boring and pushing him into a state of drowse, he was literally cast into and suddenly caught up in the records of a heroic tale that he had forgotten. I need to tell somebody tonight Unrewarded deeds will ultimately be crowned. You may feel like you're not getting anything here. You may feel like I do all of this work and it seems like nobody notices. But please hear me tonight when I tell you the king notices and the king will reward you. The Bible said what we do in secret, uh, the Father will reward us openly. But that's why we must do it every day, every day, every day. It must be our lifestyle. It must be our way of living. The story goes like this. Two of the king's closest aides members of his inner circle suddenly brought into the glaring light of scrutiny in the dim darkness of the king's bedroom. It was a tale of betrayal. 
two of the king's chamberlains, Bigthan and Teresh, had determined that they were going to sneak into the quarters of Ahasuerus and kill him. Esther chapter 2 and verse 21 says this, In those days while Mordecai sat in the king's gate, just doing what he does, when everything else is going on in the kingdom, Mordecai is just sitting in the king's gate doing the king's business. Come on, somebody. Two of the king's chamberlains, Bigthan and Teresh, of those which kept the door, were wroth and sought to lay hand on King Ahasuerus. And the thing was known to Mordecai, who told it unto Esther the queen. And Esther certified the king thereof in Mordecai's name. And when inquisition was made of the matter, it was found out. Therefore they were both hanged on a tree, and it was written in the book of the Chronicles before the king. Before it ever happened, before the king ever became king, the Bible really doesn't address how the murder was going to happen. It only tells us that these two men were very wroth and their anger sent them to their graves. There's a message in that. I think I preached a little bit about it this morning. During those days, great kings were constantly on guard to preserve their power over the people. They always were required to be watchful for insurgents and potential political coups. One of the most sought after jobs in the kingdom was food taster. Yeah, there was always a job open, Brother McLean. (laughs) Because you got the job of tasting the food before the king got it. To be sure that there wasn't anything in it that shouldn't be in it that might do damage to the king. Those two men were hanged and the assassination never came to pass. We can only imagine the plan that must have been put together. Perhaps they were going to poison his wine. Perhaps they were going to let an assassin in the palace. Perhaps they were going to attack him when they found him alone. Bible silent on what they were going to do to kill the king but on this sleepless night in the palace the story pours out of the chronicles of the kingdom and at the end the chronicler is dismissed and the king wants someone to help him honor this man Mordecai who had reported that deed of Big Than and Teresh and it just so happens that there's someone who's in the king's court, who can help him. There's always somebody that wants to be out in the forefront, that wants to be the big dog, and wants to get all the attention, and all the accolades, and all the pats on the back, and all the credit. So front and center comes the nerd named Haman. Chapter 6 and verse 3 said, And the king said, What honor and dignity hath been done to Mordecai for this? Then said the king's servants that ministered unto him, There's nothing done for him. And the king said, Who's in the court? Now Haman was come into the outward court of the king's house to speak unto the king, by the way, to hang Mordecai on the gallows that he had prepared for him. But what a turn of events. Haman is coming to speak to the king about killing Mordecai and the king is going to talk to Haman about honoring Mordecai. Have you ever seen a Haman? Let me describe him to you. He's usually a nerdy little sap. He's a know-it-all who's quite willing to express all he knows, usually within earshot of the boss. He's always right up under the feet of the boss. 
He always speaks about his past experiences before anyone else. He always says what the boss wants to hear. In fact, he's always using fawning words and flattery about the boss in front of people, but especially when the boss is present. He's always reporting the minor inconsistencies of others to the boss and then pointing out his own perceived strengths. You ever seen him? He always makes himself look good in the eyes of the boss and others look like fumbling fools. The boss really doesn't like him, but he's become so subservient that the boss ignores the distaste that he has for him. He's always right at the elbow of the boss with every little tool the boss might need and to run off to manage any little errand and boss that the, might, that, that the boss might desire. He's a real dork. But he has enough on the ball that he keeps everyone at bay because of his relationship with the boss. He spends much time trolling around in front of the boss with more of an emphasis being spent on looking productive instead of being productive. You know what? I know a lot of guys. In fact, I, I forgive me. I made a comment the other night. I love watching Pentecostal preachers, especially in a gathering where there are a bunch of Pentecostal preachers. It's so amazing. Please forgive me. You know what I'm about to say. It's so amazing to me how that they do all that they can to ease up and get close to those that are influential. Evangelists try to get to the pastor that's having the greatest revival so they can jump in and be a part of it. Now, they hadn't prayed for that revival, they hadn't fasted for that revival, hadn't done anything that they needed to do in the gate. I know you're not going to help me right now. That's okay. I'm, I'm going to slow down and preach tonight. But they do everything that they can to be part of something that they contributed very little to. But there's more to the story. Verse 5, chapter 6 said, And the king's servant said unto him, Behold, Haman standeth in the court. And the king said, Let him come in. So Haman came in, and the king said unto him, What shall be done unto the man whom the king delighteth to honor? Watch this now. Haman, he thinks he's getting the hook up. He, he thinks, man, this, this king likes me so much that he's asking me how I want to be honored. Now Haman thought in his heart, to whom would the king delight to do honor more than myself? I mean, after all, I have been in the church 35 years. I pay my tithes every week and give my offerings and I've been faithful. Who more would the king want to honor? Now, I'm not minimizing you being faithful and being in the church for 35 years. But I am trying to make somebody understand that in order for us to move into that realm and that element that God is trying to move us to, there are going to have to be more of us than just a few that get back to the gate of doing everyday things. And so, I want you to notice how quickly... Haman's heart turns from murder and mayhem of Mordecai to the exaltation of self. Haman is predetermined already in his mind that the honors that are about to come his way are his. And so he quickly designs his own parade. I, I, why? 
I'd honor that man by putting him in a tailored thousand dollar heart shafter and mark suit. A hundred dollar zagnodite necktie. A four hundred dollar pair of leather Johnson and Murphy wingtips. All hand delivered by the White House staff. I'd equip him with a cool leather breath briefcase that had cutting edge Dale net, netbook in it and with a constant internet access along with an iPhone and a Mont Blanc pen and a personal aide to take care of every need. I put him in a motorcade of stretch limos with secret service agents riding shotgun in their black suburbans and parade him all through Washington, D.C. I'd hold a press conference in the Rose Garden on the White House lawn and give him a great honor in front of the nation. I'd let him use the official presidential seal on all of his personal documents. I promote this man to be an ambassador of the nation to the world. Haman got so caught up in the promotion that the more he suggested, the more self-congratulatory steam the plan generated. Ahasuerus was so impressed that he told Haman to go and put it all together. And Haman was juiced. Oh man, I get to plan my own parade. I get to plan my own session of honor. This is going to be great. I don't want to disappoint anybody. But you're not going to get to plan your own parade. In fact, any crown that you're earning down here, you're not even going to get to keep that. The Bible said one of these days we're going to step in to where the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords is and we're going to cast our crown at His feet. Come on, somebody. I'm talking about returning to the gate. It's not about crowns. It's not about honor. It's not about being up front. It's about simply doing what you need to do every day, every day, every day. He could see himself enjoying every bit of the parade, the honor, the attention the excitement, and all the trimmings that went with it. But when Ahasuerus told him to go find Mordecai and give him the parade, Haman almost choked. He hated Mordecai. You want to know why? Because the devil hates anybody. Hear me right now. The devil hates anybody that will stay in the gate When there's no honor, when there's no praise, when there's no elevation, you just do what you do because you're called to do it. You pray, you seek, you worship, you study. Come on, somebody. I'm trying to help you. It's more than just coming to church on a few nights a week. We've got to understand there are things that need to be happening in the gate. And we need to be doing it, not just a few, but every one of us need to return to the gates. Imagine all the humiliation and agony of spirit that Haman felt. When Mordecai was in the highest place of honor in the kingdom of Ahasuerus. But let me share something with you. And please don't misunderstand me. I don't think it's wrong to honor anyone. The Bible said, let give honor to whom honor is due. It's scriptural. But I want you to hear me right now. After the honor is the glory of a lesser place. When Mordecai had enjoyed all of the honor of the king had given him, the text that we read brings a huge principle to us concerning the way that we live our lives. It's where I began tonight. And Mordecai came again to the king's gate. It was his station in life. It was the place where Mordecai made the most important contribution 
to his own existence. It was the familiar and the ordinary that elevated him to such a place of honor. It was being in the right place at the right time, at the right moment that caused Mordecai to be able to receive the information that he did to preserve the king. We need not soon forget that there's glory that often that, that often comes in the king's gate. We cannot survive on parades, on honor, on banquets, on feastings, and on the superficial elements of life. What a powerful principle. He didn't hang around to try and prolong the honors of the king. He had little time to try and squeeze from the crowd more adulation. You know what? Some of us just need to get over ourselves. He didn't go to his house and hold a party among his friends so he could tell them about his great day. He didn't continue to seek after the attention of the king. He didn't even try to get Haman demoted. He simply went back to the king's gate. There are very few in life that can handle such immediate promotion and not ruin it not ruin them. Prosperity and promotion is slain far more then has adversity and disappointment. Mordecai was never greater than when he returned and came back to the king's gate. I love this. Alexander Raleigh wrote in a commentary the book of Esther that was written in 1880. The commentary, not the book of Esther. This is what he said, and I quote, A proud and ambitious man would have said to himself, No more of the king's gate for me. I shall direct my steps now to the king's palace and hold myself ready for honor, which surely must now be at hand. Mordecai seems to have said with himself, If these things are designed for me in God's good providence, they will find me. But they must seek me, for I shall not seek them. Those who confer them know my address. Mordecai at the king's gate will still find me. Let the crowd wonder and disperse. I've had enough of their incense. Let Haman go whither he will. He is in the hands of the Lord. Let my friends at home wait. They will hear all in time. I can wait best at the old place and in the accustomed way at the king's gate. Unquote. You see, when we get to that place in our walk with God that the blessings of God are flowing freely in our lives and there are many in this place tonight that that could be said of. We must never lose the focus that we didn't get there on our own. We never achieved those things by ourselves. But it was the hand of the king that kept his hand on us. And the Bible said, he lifts up and he brings down. I want somebody to know right now, if you want to get the king's attention, don't look for glory. Don't look for honor. Don't look for recognition. Just stay in the king's gate. And when it comes time, the king will do for you what needs to be done. He kept his place. In all of this, he didn't let the parade or the show rattle his commitment. He understood that there often the highest glory comes by staying in the lesser places of commitment, of responsibility, of discipline, of courage. Listen to me. I know this is different for Sunday night, but I felt so impressed when I began to read this story. We need to get this in our spirit. 
It takes commitment in our times to stay tethered to a family. It takes a sense of responsibility in our times to stay on the job. It takes discipline to stay faithful to God and His house. It takes courage to fulfill what you may have set out to do in life. And so, with the same suddenness that Mordecai was taken out of the king's gate to be celebrated for his loyalty and his faithfulness. He was pulled from his familiar surroundings and elevated. The effect that these things have on you and me greatly determine what we'll become when the parade is over. Where do you go after this? Sometimes the events come unexpectedly and other times they come after long years of pushing and pulling and working diligently at your craft. It's very important tonight that we notice that the king came and honored the man who was in the king's gate. Well, you know what? I've been around quite a while, so I deserve that honor. I deserve to be elevated. You better get back to the king's gate. You better get back to the everyday. That relationship with God that keeps you humble. That relationship with God that makes you understand you're nothing without him. Come on, I'm preaching to somebody here right now. Well, you know, I've had this opportunity and that, that opportunity and I could have gone here, I could have gone there. You better know God's got you right where He wants you for a reason. And if you ever get so disillusioned to think that it's because of your talent, it's because of your ability, it's because of who you know and what you know, that that's where you are, you will, you will find yourself very quickly getting out of the king's favor. But if you'll just stay in the king's gate and do what you know to do every day, every day, every day, you'll have the favor of the king and the blessing of the Lord in your life. Well, you know what? I've been doing those things and I haven't been getting the results that I've expected. Just keep doing them. I said just keep doing them. Because one day you're going to get a call from the king He's not looking for somebody that every time he turns around, they bump into him. But he's looking for somebody that's been doing what they know to do. I said he's looking for somebody that's been doing what they know to do every day in the gate. They're praying, they're fasting, they're worshiping, they're loving God, they're loving people. They're being faithful to God, they're being faithful to the church. Come on somebody, they're giving, they're reaching, God help me right now. They pray when they don't feel like praying, they worship when they don't feel like worshiping. They come when they don't feel like coming. Come on, somebody help me. They give when it seems like there's very little to give. They just keep on giving. They just get in the gate and they stay in the gate because they understand if they stay in the gate faithfully, then the king will be faithful to them. Let me hurry. It's interesting how that when... Some first got in the church. Their job didn't take them away from the gate. But as elevation came, the lesser place of the king's gate seemed so unnecessary and unimportant. It was easy to pay tithes when you're making $400 a week. But now that you're making $2,000 a week, there's almost a hesitation to go back to the king's gate.
I've had people tell me through the years, well, Pastor, I, I just can't, I can't afford to give. Let me just tell you something. You can't afford not to give. Listen to me. I'm a, I, while I'm here, I'm just going to dig around a little bit. I'm going to tell you something. I can tell you. I can tell you. The people that are blessed are the people that are faithful in their giving. That oftentimes give more than they have to give. Come on, you got to help me right here. You want to know what happens when you give more than you have to give? Let me tell you what happens. Then you got to trust God to take care of your needs. Okay, I'll leave that alone. If we're not careful, we can allow the pursuits that achievement demands take us away from the king's gate. So you made an A on that test. Good. Go back to the gate. So your employee of the year, good, go back to the gate. Why? I've heard it said recently that church has money. They had money before I got there. They don't need me to give to it. You're right. But those that dwell in the king's gate say, I'm going to reach down and whatever the king requires of me, I'm going to give it to the king no matter if he needs it or not. Listen to me. You're not ever going to be elevated. You're not ever going to be honored. You're not ever going to get to glory until you realize that comes from, that is birthed in staying in the gate. Sort of like those, those high moments. You know, I've experienced some of those in my life. God's been good to me. But I'm going to tell you something. And I, I've learned this firsthand. I've been district superintendent of the Indiana district. Nine years, almost going on ten years. And I'm going to tell you something. It don't take very long for the honor to wear off. Somebody says, well, man, you got it good. You, you get all that honor. You get all that pay. I'm going to tell you something. I don't get a paycheck from them every week. But if I stay in the king's gate. Amen. Amen. Brother Jordan Fry, I don't know how many young men I've been able to affect and influence in this 10 years, but I'm going to tell you something. I believe this with all of my heart, that when we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. I'm going to tell you something. I don't need the honor of men, but I do want the honor of the king. And the only place that you get the honor of the king, and it's not every day, but when it happens, you'll know it happened. When you stay in the gate and refuse to be moved off of the ordinary. There's a certain amount of dread that comes to us when we think about coming home off vacation. We'll get a little break. And we've been able to shirk off the demands of the schedule, the harassment of a boss, teacher, confining set of circumstances. Sometimes, you know, our vacations, my family... Our vacations usually consist of going to a conference or a camp meeting. My wife said we can't ever go anywhere without me preaching somewhere. Hello? <laughs> Ideas 
are absorbed. Plans are determined. Hopes are embraced. We spend just long enough to shake off the boredom and the tedium that comes with the job to begin to dream once more. But the dream and the vision get dashed when we're sent back to the king's gate. I feel certain that when Mordecai got out of the motorcade that was to honor him, that the king's gate looked a lot less appealing than it had in the moments before the crowning honor. Brother Stephen, he's seen things in the gate that he hadn't seen before. The rust now stands out on the hinges more than it did yesterday. The wood of the gate looks a bit more rotten than it used to. The people who are in the gate look like misfits to society. There's a setting, a settling of depression that clouds his vision. There's a sense of hopelessness that wasn't with him before he got honored. The gate looks a little less appealing than it did before the party started. But just like Mordecai, we must bravely and diligently return to the job that the Lord has called us to do. There is great glory in the gate. There's not a lot of faithfulness required of us in the mountaintop experiences. But real faithfulness can only be demonstrated when you get back to the gate. Sometimes we get bold, pulled from the gate by trial, a great dilemma in life. A bad choice is made, a heartrending loss occurs, divorce rips apart a family, a wayward child's rebellion becomes our distress, some great betrayal unsettles our lives. We're receiving some very bad news that affects us greatly. And we're at a point of enjoying the highest part of life. And suddenly, the breath is knocked out of us. I don't mean to disclose all of our conversation. But there are times when my wife and I just look at one another. And we just say to one another... Well, it's just another punch. Anybody ever felt that way? Man, you you climb out. Looks like things are going in the right direction. And the next thing you know, everything's knocked out from under you. But let me just tell you something. That's not where the success is. That's not where the victory is. The writer said, Rejoice not against me, O my enemy, for if I fall, or when I fall, I shall arise. Ladies and gentlemen, your success in the kingdom is not what happened to you yesterday that knocked you down, but it is in you getting up and making your way back to the gate and say, I'm going to pray like I prayed before that happened. I'm going to worship like I worshiped before that happened. I'm going to lift him up like I lifted him up before that happened. I'm getting back in the gate. Come on, clap your hands to the Lord and give him praise. Let me just say something here. I want to give you some of the wisest advice that I can muster up. I'm sorry, I don't have more to offer. But I want to, want, to, want to give you some advice right here. You need to understand the glory of the gate. Go back to it. Mordecai, I, he understood that his role in life was in the gate. So when you go through a trial, you go through a test... You go through circumstances that you don't understand. Just quietly get back to the gate. Patiently 
settle into the task of the gate. Go back to the job. Go back to school. Go back home. It's the way you live victoriously and powerfully. When you are under the assault of a deep trial, there is glory in the king's gate. You know, I don't know if Mordecai ever knew that he was about to be hanged. I don't know that. But I know this, because he stayed in the king's gate... It didn't happen. And the one that was his enemy ended up on those gallows that he built for Mordecai. Can I just tell somebody here, if you'll stay in the gate and be faithful to God, God will take care of your enemy. God will be sure that they quit. Come on. Bitter's not better. It's just time for you to lay things down and put it in the hands of the Lord and get right back to the gate and keep praying, keep singing, keep worshiping, keep loving, keep reaching. Just get back to the gate. After the flood, Noah had to build an altar. After the covenant was established with Abraham, he had to walk it out. It's not enough to say every place that your feet touches, I'm going to give it to you. If your feet don't move from right here, it means nothing. You got to get back in the gate. Start walking. Everywhere that you go, the blessing, the covenant is upon you and God's going to bless you. Well, it seemed kind of boring and insignificant to just keep walking. Listen, when Abraham left where he was to go do the will of God, he didn't have any clue where he was going. I got to tell you something. I do know one thing. It's my plan to go to heaven. But until I get there, I don't know what God's going to have me do tomorrow. I don't know where he's going to take me tomorrow. But I do know this, that if I stay in the king's gate, when it's time for him to communicate with me, he'll speak to me in his gate when he won't speak to me anywhere else. After Joseph was taken from the prison, he had to prepare for the famine. After the wilderness experience, Jesus went about teaching and healing. After the death of James, the early church had to have revival. They continued. Peter and John had been let out of prison. They had to defend their faith. After the trial you got to go back to the gate. After the test, you got to go back to the gate. After the pain, you got to go back to the gate. After the loss, you got to go back to the gate. After the betrayal, you got to go back to the gate. After misunderstanding, you got to go back to the gate. I'm closing. King's Gate has a way of restoring purpose, initiating healing, and resetting priorities in life. On the afternoon of April 18th, 1775, a young stable boy hurriedly ran down the Boston streets. Until he came to the silversmith shop of Paul Revere. He reported that he'd overheard some British army officers talking about an event that was to happen the next day. I wonder if he was in the king's gate. It just so happened that early in the day he'd been relayed some information that came from some men who worked on the wharves of the Boston Harbor. They had noted two ships in the Boston Harbor, the Somerset and the Boyne, both of His Majesty's ships from Great Britain. The British officers had 
carelessly discussed some plans that would lead to the arrest of colonial leaders John Hancock and Samuel Adams in Lexington. So Paul Revere and his close friend Joseph Warren determined to do something with the information that literally had come to them from the grassroots of the Boston Society. The rest is history. We know now that on the night that Paul Revere took to his horse and rode through the streets of Boston and on to the other towns along the way on his midnight ride, he rode through Charlestown and Medford and North Cambridge and Monotomy before reaching Lexington. He sounded the, the alarm. The British are coming. The British are coming. The British are coming. And before long, church bells started ringing. Drums began beating. The news fanned out all over the countryside. The news ran on through Lincoln by 1 a.m., Sudbury by 3, Andover by 5, and by 9. And it reached as far west as Ashby near Worcester. When the British finally began their march, April 19, 1775, they were shocked and stunned by the resistance they found from the Minutemen and the Patriots along the way. Resistance was organized and fierce and militia soundly routed the British. From that incident came the American Revolution that would start the steps toward an American nation. Say, what's that got to do with this, Bishop? How crucial it was for young men who worked in the stable to have been in his gate. How crucial it was for the workers on the wharves to have stayed in their gate. How crucial it was for Paul Revere to have been in his gate when the information began to trickle in his direction. Hear me tonight when I tell you there is great power in staying in the king's gate. Somebody needs to stay in the gate and shout out loud, Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. Stand with me.